hello, I'm Jane Daly and this is my podcast for people who know. As a thought leader and work-life activist, I am curious about people who are accelerating their work and life. And whilst finding their own balance, they have also found time to inspire others to do the same. My interest in Nancy Klein started when I discovered the joys of the thinking environment for myself and for people I'm privileged to be coaching with. Nancy is president of Time to Think, an international coaching and leadership development company. Nancy teaches coaches and leaders to become experts in creative thinking environments with their clients and their teams. I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Nancy today. Hi, Nancy. Hi, Jane. Thank you so much. It's a real pleasure to be here. Nancy, this is um, something off the bucket list for me. So I'm very excited to be talking to you today about the promise that changes everything. Thank you. Nancy, are you up for coming in the work-life time machine with me? I am. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, it's really interesting, isn't it? Um, the, the time machine is um, a really interesting concept and everybody sees it differently. So uh, tell me what you're, um, what you're seeing and what you're feeling as you enter this time machine with me. Well, I've always been a devotee of space and I don't believe in time. And um, as I think uh, anybody who really thinks about time probably doesn't. So it is a joy to be um, feeling I can be way out there and way in here um, with just the right kinds of space for our conversation and with no real worship of time. I love that, Nancy. Um, you've made me um, think about, you know, just that idea of, of creating space and, you know, just letting your imagination run wild. Um, such a joy, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It's wonderful and rare. Thank you. <laughs> so, Nancy, in, our, um, in the work-life time machine today, um, what I would really like to do is take us backwards first. I'm going to put in the clock 1968. And we're going to go back to a, a very different time in some respects, but some similarities too. So are you up for that, coming in this uh, sort of space with me? I am. Thank you. Now, let me just put some perspective on 1968 as we arrive in that era. It's a really interesting year. It's a leap year. And it was also a year of triumphs and tragedies. It's a year that remains one of the most historic years in American history. Mm. And let me just give you a few more facts, Nancy, because um, you were there living and breathing these times of triumphs and tragedies. America had reached new heights by introducing the first 747 and orbiting the moon. But there was some real unrest going on as well. Martin Luther King was assassinated in Memphis, Tennessee, and Bobby Kennedy was assassinated in Los Angeles. And this was five years after the same thing had happened to his brother, President John F. Kennedy. In the United Kingdom, Enoch Powell, a member of Parliament, made a speech which was called the Rivers of Blood. This caused a political storm in the UK and it led to his dismissal from the Shadow Cabinet. At the Ford Motor Company, the female machinists had started a strike and this was a landmark time for them because this strike triggered a huge change 
and causing an Equal Pay Act in 1970. And the number one song was Hey Jude by the Beatles. One of the things just to end on was that US, the USA was also embroiled in the Vietnam War, which had been going 13 years by then and would go on for another seven years. Nancy, what was that time like for you? Yes, Jane, it was momentous. I had just graduated from university in early June of that year. And those events, you've, many of which you've described, um, had occurred just. I think that what was so important for me then was how unconscious I was. I f- feel like a different person now, although the roots of what became the way I could think about the world were certainly there and had been all of my childhood and growing up period. But I I think I'd like to focus for a moment on one of the last things you mentioned, which was the Vietnam War. Um, I was 22 and of course, so was my twin brother and he was fighting in Vietnam. My family was in favor of the war and so was I. And by that I mean, and therefore, so was I, because I wasn't thinking for myself about it. And I was in a university in California where virtually everybody around me um, was participating in the protests against the war. But it got even more so, this difference between me and the people around me, Um, in the autumn of that year when I had my first job at uh, what was then a a new school, a new Quaker school for teenagers. And that year, that fall, really did mark for me the beginning of what I think in general you're interested in here, which is a life, an intentional life, a a life in which work eventually would become the unfolding of, of my own dreams for what might be possible for my own life and maybe others. I'd like to tell you about that, but I don't know if there's enough time. There's, there's this a particular sort of moment that, uh, that, that did cause, cause ultimately a big shift for me. So I just don't know. Is that, is there time for that? There is absolutely time, Nancy. You go on because what you are talking about um, is really, you know, is resonating with me, and I'd love to hear it. Okay, thank you. This Quaker school was about as different as possible from just the way I moved through the world, as you can imagine. It was a genuine Quaker school, a genuine Quaker community, and I arrived at my new job, I was hired to teach English and Latin and hockey. And um, I arrived in my Neiman Marcus outfit with my little stacked heels. I, I was driving a Chevrolet 396 engine car. And most of the people at this school were in very modest, um, not, it's not really exactly the same, but very modest clothes, driving Volkswagen Beetles. And it wasn't as if you had to, but 
do that, but but there was just a feel about simplicity and humility and um, values that I cherished in the abstract, but but certainly was not expressing with my life. And yet they hired me, and so I arrived. And in this school, every single day, they had what is called meeting for worship, which means that the entire student body and faculty and staff gathered. Uh, in a tin barn um, for 15 whole minutes to be quiet together. And of course, I had to do that as part of the faculty. And I thought that for the first few weeks of the school year, I was going to die from not talking because the meeting for worship is a time of of complete silence unless you get inspired to speak and then you stand and you speak. And generally people are scared and they shake and that's why it's called Quakerism. But everybody was speaking against the Vietnam War. And one day I stood and I spoke in favor of the war and sat down and nobody kicked me out. And when we exited the barn for to go to our classes, nobody was mean to me. And I, um, I think somebody did turn, <laughs> tear the, the Nixon sticker off my bumper. But other than that, there was no protest against my having this entirely different view from the rest of the people. A few weeks later, the head of the English department, Peter Klein, whose name I carry, I married him many years later, but um, I was just his uh, staff member then, was an extraordinary man. And he cared what people thought and he wanted people to think for themselves. And uh, my mother believed in independent thinking as well and so did my dad. So I was, I was open to that as a concept, but he really made sure it happened. And he asked me to come to his um, faculty office one afternoon. And he said to me, Nancy, I'm very interested in what you said about the Vietnam War. And I want to know more about that. I want to know why you are for the war. And he settled back and he gave me attention while I gathered my thoughts. And I said, well, well, okay. See, the thing is, Peter, it's the communists and they're over there and they want to come to America and take it over. And they will, if we don't beat them over there. And so we've got to be, fighting over there so that we don't have to fight them over here. And I know I, they will come to New York and they'll probably start in New York and they will just start um, killing us all. And I stopped and he said very gently, he said, well, I can certainly understand why that would be frightening to you. What do you think they'll do then? And, you know, he was treating me as if I were a sane person. And so I said, well, all right, so then what they'll do is they'll just keep going and they'll go down south and they'll go west and they'll just go and go until they get to Clovis where my home is or where I grew up and they'll just have killed everybody along the way. And actually, they'll probably do a whole lot of it with airplanes, too, and that'll be the end of everything. And I looked at him and he nodded, you know, and he said. Well, absolutely. I can certainly understand why that would make you for the war. He said, 
can you just fill in one thing for me? What, what do you think would be the reason why they could get that far, given our military and everything? And I said, well, um, hmm. Well, uh, you know, I'm just not really clear about that detail. And I think I'd like to go away and think about that a little bit, and I'll get back to you about that. And he nodded, and he said, good, that would be lovely. And I got up, and I left his office, and he went back to work at his desk, and I went back to nothing. I felt as if bits of me were falling off and falling onto the floor, and I, I think those were pro probably my pieces of my very carefully unexamined life. I spent the whole weekend trying to figure out what would the military do? And also I was very pro-military as you, as you would imagine with my twin being over there and my, and, and, and many, many other reasons. And so I could not by Monday pound my brain hard enough to make sense out of that war. And I thought to myself, I don't think there's anything I can support in this war, except that I want my brother back. And then I thought to myself, is that what the Quakers do? They want to know what you think. And because they do, they change your life. That's what 1968 meant to me. Nancy, I have to say, I have goosebumps listening to your story. And, and you know, for me, I felt like I was in the room with you while you were having this conversation. It's really interesting. One of the things I'd love to pick up, up on is you mentioned that you said, I feel like a different person. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yes, I think, Jane, that from that moment, which then, of course, led to much more learning from Peter Klein and from the Quaker minds in that school, and then ultimately when I was diagnosed with terminal cancer and Peter and I worked out a way for me to take a different route and not die after having only six weeks to live. And that path led to our starting our own Quaker school. And that path led in the end to my devoting my life to really what had happened for me in that office, which was to wonder about the question, how do we help people to think for themselves? And it means, of course, how do we keep them from either conforming or from being counter-dependent so that they're not thinking for themselves on either end of the issue. And so I got to that fast forwards to today and I, I go back to that moment, and I think that from that moment, I could absorb and integrate and make use of what my mother and father had taught me and what I had learned it with other teachers, too, along the way about the importance of the human mind. And when my mother had said to me, there is no greater crime than the waste of a single human mind. I was seven when I heard her say that, and that is just one example of so many from my journey to 1968 
that finally I think I could, I could welcome in and live. And so today it's kind of hard to recognize that young teacher standing up in meeting for worship and saying, I'm for the war. But it was the same. It is the same person. I just feel different. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? And, and Nancy, looking back at that time, what would you tell your younger self? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for being willing to go into strange territory, for trusting difference, for recognizing genuine interest in the faces and eyes and questions and attention from people who seemed very different from you then. And thank you for having the big perspective that comes from trusting the future, I think. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing, uh, sharing that with us. Now, let's have a look at 2020, you know, in this um, in our time machine. Let's just have a look at the space that's, that's around us now. I, I, I would love to just understand, you know, from your perspective, what are the kind of things that you are observing and how do you think the things that are sort of around us today are having an impact on people? Yes, I, I assume you mean specifically um, having to do with the COVID era. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, Jane, at one level, I feel that I don't know. Um, I was thinking last night that there's a way in which the COVID experience is like the, the earth for me. I'm living on that very, very outer surface crust, you know, that which is where life as we know it evolved. And, but just so soon after this habitat of living things, there are layers and layers and layers of rock, and then there's a big inferno. And I think that I don't really know what the rock and inferno of COVID is like for people and what is happening to our era because of that particular most extreme experience of the virus. And I honor that. So I would be reflecting here only on my very surface experience. I've been lucky um, not to have the virus, I have been also vigilant. And I think that there is for, as far as I know from my circles of contact and colleagues and friends and family and influence and so on, I think there, there's great variety in people's, that well, I guess that what's happening for us is we're seeing great variety in people's relationship with risk, people's trust or not, of government, people's relationship with science, and also people's relationship with 
delay people's relationship with perspective and with urgency. So for me, it's been in many ways a kind of blessed time once Christopher and I recognized that what we would do is stay home until there's a vaccine. Wonderful things began to happen for me, things that I will be forever grateful for. And it wasn't just the practicalities of, as it happened, getting this new book finished, um, finished, edited, and so on. But it was also having to rethink the thinking environment, um, teaching experience and learning experience, learning about the difference between in-person attention and on-screen attention. And if you want to, we can come back to some of that. And But it was also for me a time to rethink to go back to a question that i that has driven my life decisions and my work decisions fortunately for really i think as long as i've i've had a uh, my own work i think once i had cancer and was supposed to die i began to ask this question what do i really want to do with my life and also what do I really think? And um, and then more recently, the last 20 years or so of it has been what will give me energy and trying always to honor that and, and stop doing things or refuse to do things um, that would, would, would suck my energy away. Um, and I think that this period since March 21st, I've been able to reshape uh, along in my life in a way that is much more expressive of that question. What do I really want to do now? I, I'm, I'm hoping I have 10 more years left to live and I want them to be as rich and as possible and as full as possible of the, of the things I have not had time to do as well as the enriching of the things I'm engaged in. And I guess what I'm trying to get at is that this has been a time of being with myself and with my thoughts of others and with my heart. And it's been a time of beauty and it's been a time inside a context of horror of that the world is experiencing. I think that it's lovely that I adore my husband and um, we love to be together. And, you know, I felt that I waited a long time finally to find him for us to find each other. And if somebody had told me in 1983 when we met and fell in love that if I could live long enough, I'd get to spend a whole year or more with no one but him, I would have definitely thought that was worth living for. And so here we are, and it's not that we haven't seen anybody at all, but we have really been very strict about what we do. So that's, that's some of what I, I see. And I, I think that I can generalize again from this surface of the planet place, which is I think we may not do anything about it as a society, as a privileged society, but I think we have seen that we were far too busy 
doing nothing, far too busy confusing everything with nothing, and far too frantic, far too easily addicted to distraction. And it seems to me that there's a chance, at least we have seen what it means to come home, even if we don't build the world on that basis going forward. Thank you. Nancy, thank you so much for sharing some, you know, really personal things there. And you're an absolute joy to listen to. Um, For me, there's just a couple of things that really struck me that I really would love to just explore a little bit more with you before we move on, which is um, this idea of in-screen attention and in-person attention that relates to the book that you mentioned. Would you tell us a little bit more about that, please? Oh, thank you. That's so lovely, Jane. What we're finding as we pursue the question, how can we help each other to think for ourselves as far as possible in the time we have, is that if we can be with each other in what I've identified loosely as 10 sort of particular ways, we have a better chance of thinking for ourselves beautifully. And one of those ways of being is attention. And one of the facets of attention, in fact, the kind of core of this sort of attention, which I call generative attention, is the promise not to interrupt. And the reason that is the core of this experience of thinking for ourselves is that the promise not to interrupt changes everything. It changes how we listen. It changes how we think while we're being listened to. It relaxes the human mind so that it can fire up in ways that it cannot do without the promise. And part of what I think is so important um, about this that made me want to do the book is that it's different. And I remember in April of 20, I think it was 2018, I had become in a way sort of differently passionate about the fact that thinking for yourself and this promise Well, I should say first that thinking for yourself is different. It's different from just thinking. And helping someone, creating the thinking environment for people is different from just listening. Christopher and I, every evening, take time before dinner to sit together and sometimes in the garden, sometimes in front of the fire, and sometimes just in the sitting room and We listen to each other without interruption about our day, about anything we're thinking before we eat. And on this day in April of, I think it was, of 2018, I said, well, well, I just am so, so angry that people don't get it, that thinking for yourself and a thinking environment are 
different. They're different. They produce different results and it's a different experience. And I don't know why I'm angry because I've been talking about this for 30 something years. I've written multiple books about it. I'm teaching it. People are teaching it. People are getting it at that level. They are, they're getting it. But the world, the wider world, and even sometimes the world of coaching doesn't understand that this is different. So I was really on a roll. Uh, and he listened as he does angelically. And with huge interest, um, which of course is critical, uh, critically important. And I stopped, when I finally stopped, he said, I think that's your next book. And I said, mm, mm. the way you do, you know, when you've just run into the truth, but you had absolutely no idea it was there and nor were you willing what, at all to admit it and I said well probably not but I think I could write an essay and then in July Penguin Life called me and Venetia Butterfield asked if I would write the next time to think book but it needs would be different and I heard that word <laughs> and um, so that led me then to spend two and a half months thinking about one thing which was exactly what is different as if I had never thought of it about it before and finally recognized that what's different is the promise of no interruption that that changes everything and that allows the listening and the thinking to be different I hope I've responded to the question you asked, but thank you for that. Nancy, that and so much more. Wow, what a, um, what a powerful thing that you are putting out there really as part of your work. One of the questions I have for you is you mentioned a couple of times that, you know, for you, um, and I, I've read it in, in so many things that are written about you, about this sort of... Um, you know, what happened to you with cancer and how you coped with that. How do you think that that experience has added to your ability to really get under the skin of this next book and this promise that you're putting out there? Lovely question. Absolutely a, a direct correlation when I look back between that experience and this book. because. Peter Klein, um, whom I mentioned in my earlier story, and I had married just a few months before I got this diagnosis, prognosis. And they had given me six weeks to live. And while I was in the hospital after massive surgery, uh, which still left so much cancer that they didn't expect me to live, um, Peter did this extraordinary superhuman job of researching what the options would be because I had a 20% chance of living five years if I took went on to chemotherapy trials and we didn't think that was very good odds and he researched all the ways other people with this metastatic ovarian cancer had lived and you know Jane that was before the internet so before Google it was before, you know, quick contact with texting and all the digital life. 
And I mean, there was a phone, there was an encyclopedia, there were libraries, and there were survivors. And somehow he managed, while I was in the hospital for about 10 days, to get the most amazing collection of case studies and uh, some research together. And he, when, he said, when, uh, before we left the hospital, before I left the hospital, I had to make a decision about the NIH offer, the National Institutes of Health, and to be on those trials. And Peter had said all along the way, when he was gathering this research, he had been talking to me about what he was learning. And so when the doctors assembled before my release from the hospital to find out my decision, they told me that I would have this place on this prestigious trial. And I listened. And then I said that, I said, thank you. I very much appreciate this opportunity that you're offering me. But I am going to decline because I think what I want to do is go home. And, and actually, Jane, I forgot of an important thing that had happened two nights before, which was that in the middle, in fact, there are two other pieces to this. In the middle of this um, time in the hospital, Dr. Chow, a, an ovarian specialist from Taiwan, had was lecturing in the United States, and somehow Peter had managed to get a hold of him and get him into my hospital room, and he examined me the way Chinese medicine does. And then he said, I think I can heal you with my herbs, but if you decide not to go that path, do, be sure you do this. Be happy, happy, happy. And then he and his entourage left the room. And then that night, my uncle came, had come, I found out later from Oklahoma, flown to the hospital and looked at the slides. And he came into my hospital room. I was asleep and he woke me just a little and whispered in my ear, Nancy, this is your uncle, Henry Bennett. I've looked at your slides and they are very bad. But I have known women with ovarian cancer this severe who just went home rather than do chemotherapy and they lived and he left. And so talking with these doctors, what I said was, I, I want to just go home and I want to change the way I live because I believe that my body created that cancer. And if it did, if I change what I'm doing with my body, I may be able to change the conditions for cancer and turn them into health. And so I'm going to go home and be happy, 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 and do about seven other things. And the doctors were visibly horrified and said, if you do that, you will be dead in six weeks. So the reason I tell that story is for you to understand that what happened from that point on, in fact, imbued in that period of time, actually, but certainly after that, when I went home and I read and explored everything that Peter had assembled, I experienced what I now would call a pure thinking environment. Because what he said to me was, whatever you think after you consider all this information, we will do. I just want to know what you really think. And so I read the things and I thought and we talked and we talked to other health experts and finally there was a moment when 
finally I said, um, I want to set up a regime that will heal my body. And of course, we now understand that that's reducible to the idea that you strengthen the immune system. But I consider that that path, and I'm not recommending that path, I don't know even for sure that what I did is what cured me. I don't even know that I was ever cured. I mean, I, I may well have cancer in my body. I just do know that I'm not dead. And I am living well, and I'm 74. So it's a 2100 and something weeks later. I'm very grateful to Peter Klein for creating what I would call a thinking environment, for making the promise not to interrupt, which unpacked to mean, I realize now, to stop interrupting, to start giving me this kind of amazing attention, and to consider me his equal. Thank you. Nancy, as you are telling your story, um, it is incredibly poignant that you are an inspiration to many, many people, but in particular women. You know, I include myself in that, and I hope you don't mind me saying that, but you really are an inspiration to people like me who are looking through their work to inspire others and, you know, allow people to think for themselves because that is the way that we do for for myself, I see people that find more harmony, more balance in what I call work life when they're able to push the boundaries of things that, that are inside that they just haven't managed to get to. And I just, you know, I don't know if you realize um, just how much you are doing that from your work and your books. I'm not sure that you do, but I wanted you to know on behalf of the listeners and people like me, thank you so much for sharing these kind of stories and for being clear that you really don't know what happened, but for you, the thing that really drove you is having that time and that tenacity to think for yourself. Thank you, Jane. That's very, very generous. I appreciate that. Now, Nancy, let's you and I have a little bit of fun and, and lighten, the, lighten the mood a bit um, because that was a, a, a while ago and you've got this amazing book that is coming out shortly that I personally can't wait to get my hands on and, and explore and my curiosity is, is way up there. But um, I want us to go to a, to a time which is slightly forward because, you know, for me, you know, it's very difficult to predict the future but you know I'd love just to explore with you and have a bit of fun with you know what are the kind of things that you foresee in the next decade? Well like you I think forecasting is I don't know it's not foolish but it's it really sets us up to be wrong. I do think that though that the chances are fairly good given the the long range trend from early human beings to now which has been good not for everyone but for increasing numbers that we have done as a species a job of progressing humanness i think it's arguably more impressive than the job we've done in demeaning and undermining humanness 
So I expect that will continue. Humanity has been through things as bad as and much worse than you could argue than what we're, we are experiencing now. And we've come a long way through those to good places. So I expect we'll be in a, in multiple levels of good places 10 years from now. Oh, and, and especially for women, I think that um, it's been the most wonderful thing to be a woman over the past well, 74 years, but aware, aware of myself as a woman probably for um, 64 years or something, certainly 60. And to see that for people of, again, my, I don't know quite how to describe this, Jane, but you know, a really, really privileged group of human beings. Uh, it's been a wonderful time of progress in reference to equality and justice and so on for women. And I guess I don't know how to answer it if the question is, what do I see? But I can certainly a answer what, what I hope for. And I think that I would hope that this trend towards the good would be driven by the question how can we live each day so that we are as alive as possible? And how can we be with each other so that we strengthen and deepen the lives around us? How can we, I hope it will be a decade of wondering about and acting on tentative answers to this question. How do we help people to think for themselves? And how can we stop thinking for people how can we raise our children so that they are independent thinkers? How do we live the promise of no interruption? And how do we therefore generate what I would call generative attention, not just genuine attentiveness? And so I hope that the huge contractions of power and geography and demography and economics that are inevitable, I think, in the next decade, will produce new beings of connection and integrity and literacy. And for me, I, I have to say, um, I, I, would, I would want to say for everyone, also, I hope it will produce new levels of the love of words Thank you. Wow, Nancy. I think that's something that we can all do. You know, I think it's within our gift to do. It's not something that we can't achieve if we put our minds to it. And I think that's the power for me of what you're saying. That's what I love about what I, you know, when I read anything from you, and I've been lucky enough to be reading uh, Women in Power that you wrote a very long time ago. Um, in the fact that it, it sort of just opened up so many thoughts for myself and uh, took me in so many different directions. I remember one day that I ended up with a sort of room of lots of different notes and paper and a couple of hours later thought, wow, how did I get here? And that is certainly happening for me, Nancy. So um, I'm sure it's happening for other people too. I, I just really appreciate that. It was so lovely. And I remember... Um, on being on the airplane on the way to Alaska, starting to write Women in Power and thinking, 
All right, so now what's the target date for women to be more than 50% of all legislatures and so on? Okay, I know. Let's go really, really far away. How about 2020? <laughs> because I was going to be, I mean, that was so old. I would be 74. I thought, for, well, for sure we'll get there, or at least I'll be dead and we won't have to, I won't have to notice that we didn't get there. So now, whoop, here it is, 2020. And actually it is, it's a good perspective, isn't it? <laughs> It certainly is. And I, I mean, there are still and there always will be a number of challenges for all sorts of different people. But, you know, in particular at this stage, and I've been doing some research on it, it is a number of things are not going in the right direction for, for women. And there's a real opportunity now to think about that and just think about what sort of changes we could make for the future and I you know one of the things to pick up on what you were just saying coming back to thinking for yourself it's that just being able to give yourself time to think about well if I want to do this in the future what are the kind of things that I need to be doing now in order to make sure that you know I'm getting closer to that and not expecting something to sort of happen overnight because that isn't how it works with these kind of things that are complex and challenging to often change. Mm -hmm. um, that's my view on it anyway, Nancy. Mm, wonderful. I join you. <laughs> now, Nancy, I'm going to be brave before we um, close our little time machine here. And what space would you like to go to? If you could take you and me to anywhere, where would you like to go to and why? If I give you the controls, where would you take us? Uh, in terms of, of my life, you mean? Or yeah, forwards, backwards, wherever you would like to go, stay where we are today. Mm -hmm. I just would be curious to know where you would like to take us. Well, I think I'd like to take us for just a second to, um, this may be unrealistic, but to sort of a hundred years from now. I like to think, I mean, that maybe it turned out to be like what 2020 was. <laughs> Suddenly it's here and are you kidding? It was going to take a lot longer than that. But anyway, I would like to um, imagine a world in which everyone lives in a thinking environment from birth to death and what people kind of almost whimsically maybe talk about is how odd that world must have been when people interrupted and controlled each other and when people conformed instead of thinking for themselves. How truly, truly weird that must have been. That's what I'd like to see. Nancy, I love it. I'm, I'm absolutely with you. And, um, you know, I really want to close today by saying thank you so much for giving me your time um, and sharing so many intimate details of your life and your journey. And I, I can't wait to read more about the promise that changes everything. I won't interrupt you and all about thinking for yourself. Nancy, thank you so much. Oh, Jane, thank you so much too. And thank you for the fact that you are a thinking environment. It's been a, a wonderful time for me today. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed listening to my podcast today. There's lots more podcasts, resources, articles and experts to inspire you on the People Who Know website. Go to the website today sign up and join the conversation.